Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. First and foremost, folks, let's get this out of the way. She's back. Anna Kelly. Hi, Anna. How are you? Hi, I am great. Happy New Year 2024. We are here. We've been doing this, I think, five years together now into year six. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I can't wait for us to help more and more people in 2024. So thank you for coming back. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. We're going to come out hot in 2024. I'm going to share with you a soundtrack or a story that the one and only Grant Cardone is putting out. I'm going to ask you if you agree. We're going to talk about if we agree what we might do about it. And then most and most importantly, what is the average person? You ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. So Grant Cardone puts out a lot of stuff. Uh, he is obviously uh, not afraid to say what's on his mind, but he has been pretty consistent the last six months or so saying we are about to have the greatest real estate opportunity of his lifetime. That is quite saying something because obviously he went through and experienced a great recession where housing went down in some markets like mine, 70%. So I think it bears clarification because I don't think you've heard this yet. If you're not aware, Grant Cardone is talking about office and multifamily because there is $2.7 trillion in loans maturing and there are operators who overpaid and because of that, there is going to be blood in the streets. He's also been very clear that some of the blood is going to be his. I don't think it's any secret that for a long time he was celebrating buying class A assets at very low cap rates. In and fact, not worrying about the price. And not worrying about the price. Exactly, exactly. So he's quoted the famous saying, uh, buy when there's blood in the streets, as we've all heard. There's actually an extension on that quote that says, buy when there's blood in the street, even if some of it's yours. That's the full quote. And he's been uh -huh. sharing that. So, Anna, let's start with step one. Do you think you and I are about to experience the greatest real estate opportunity in our lifetime, meaning in multifamily and or office or both? No. Okay. Tell you me. You want more. me to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, I would. I mean, I'd love I'd so, love to see I'd love to hear from your standpoint. Yeah, you know, I I've thought a lot about this and and I will uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I thought there was going to be a whole lot more pain than what we've actually experienced in the multifamily space. And so, um, you know, I I have been preparing that 2024 and 2025 could potentially be a huge opportunity for buyers, but you know, distress is only one piece of the puzzle, right? So one is, where is their distress? Number two is, is it distressed enough where the prices have come down so low that I can basically buy it 
less than the cost to develop it myself, right? Where I'm really getting a good deal on the basis, not just a good deal compared to last year. And that's a right. really important point for me in the commercial space. So, you know, I think when you deal, I, I think of this in a couple of different levels. I think one, and you you alluded to this in, in your opening comment was for big guys like Grant or the average investor, and there is a difference. And so we have to, to understand that one, how much capital you have to deploy without needing necessarily other people's money, i.e. bank credit and investors, mm -hmm. makes a huge difference as to whether you can scoop up the few, relatively few, really great deals that are below true basis, not just compared to prior years. Then the second thing is, if you're not at that level and you're a strong investor, an experienced investor, but you've relied primarily on bank credit or raising money from private individuals, I can tell you that bank credit and raising money from private individuals has by and large dried up and it's mm -hmm. only beginning because we haven't had a really painful recession yet to make that tighten up even greater. So one is deal availability and the distress in the market, but the other is the capital to go after them. And I think that for the most part, the main reason that I say no, it won't be the greatest opportunity yet is because the values have not come down enough mm -hmm. um, that I can create a good return for my investors with the money available to me to borrow from credit. And both mm -hmm. banks, private capital, like big family offices and smaller check writer investors are kind of pulling back and saying there's too much uncertainty yet for me to be willing to take on risk without a really good risk premium, meaning it's more risky today to invest than it was a year ago. So am I being paid a big enough return to justify that expense? And big money that funds these big deals, they're all saying no. There isn't enough risk premium. So I know that's really high level and more on the commercial side, but I think that that the statement that there's going to be blood on the streets with the deals, number one, that's not accurate. In multifamily specifically, because this is the other bifurcation, multifamily versus office are very different animals. Um, yes, they're commercial, but in multifamily, the default level is less than 3% across the country. So yes, there are some big deals going in default, um, but the default level is still really low compared to, you know, history. Um, so you don't have the big deals blood on the street in multifamily. You don't have the money easily to go get them and make good returns on a risk premium, risk adjusted basis. Um, office, there is property distress and values have fallen quite a bit, um, but the money to go after them is not quite there for the average investor even the investor with a couple hundred million under assets, um, under management. For the big guys like Grant Cardone, he might be able to push a button and, and you know, handle the capital side, but the money is not, um, it, it, it's not um, basically money on trees. It's not just going to be there for deal after deal after right. deal. So yes, there can be amazing deals coming up for the right operator who has the right capital stack, the ability to raise money, and you can make some incredible deals. But I don't think that it's going to be that way for most investors like we had the opportunities post-2009. So that's my high-level first yeah. thoughts. I think there's a couple of things in all of this that, that when I when I see this, one, I think it's really good that Grant is clearly separating residential from commercial. He's been very yes. clear. This this good. greatest opportunity he's talking about 
is not, not, not single family homes, right? It's just right. the setup is not there. Second, I think he's being very clear that it's going to be his greatest opportunity. Again, he is uniquely set up. He is raised, if by all accounts, if what I've read is correctly, over a billion dollars uh, via his, you know, you know, check writers, if you will. He's never raised from big funds. He's he's raised over a billion dollars. He has a track record of paying. Again, if if social media posts are accurate. Uh, also, I to your point. Again, I I've listened to a lot of this because I'm really intrigued by this idea. I want to buy the biggest thing. Also, is, is where we'll go next. Is He's going into these assets. He just did a deal in Chicago where he paid cash. Got 50% he has the capital. Exactly. Yes. He has the cash and he's like, "Hey, we will run it with no debt until the debt market figures it out. I will increase the value and at some point in the future, could be 2, could be 4, could be 6 years, I will go back and, you know, burr it, put some debt on it and pay everybody back." I'm like, "Yes." Genius, and that is right? how these deals will will be done by the really big players. You yes. know, make no mistake. I mean, if you can buy a deal without debt because you have the capital, whether that's you know private investors or even a a family office that's helping you fund the deal, when you have the capital, you know, a vast a, a large percentage. It's about forty to fifty percent for most operators of your monthly expense is your debt service. It's your debt Correct. payments, and so Correct. if you can eliminate that debt service, you can be much more lean. And an average multifamily across the country, regardless of how old it is, runs at about a forty-two to forty-three percent expense ratio. So you know, if you can buy it at fifty percent of value, you pay cash. You know, you're pocketing fifty, sixty percent of the net income every month then you mm -hmm. can definitely hold Just that hold. thing and have a really yeah. long-term play. You know, the question is, is the deal good enough for the risks that, you know, people never come back to those areas. So I'm going to pick on San Francisco, right? Yes. San Francisco is yep. not looking real good. Um, homelessness and crime and people are leaving with a, you know, with abandon, just businesses mm -hmm. and uh, shuttering and, and people no longer wanting to be downtown for fear of being, you know, robbed and carjacked and mugged, mm -hmm. et cetera. You know, those kind of cities to me, while they they could appear to be really great opportunities, could take decades to turn around if they Agreed. do. And so, you know, Grant is looking at those kind of risks. You have to be very careful about location and mm -hmm. your assumptions to make sure that you don't assume it's always going to go back to normal the way that it was. You know, mm -hmm. you look at Detroit. Detroit mm -hmm. never really went back to normal the way that it was before the auto industry completely crashed. And so, you know, just like anything, I think that if you find opportunities in any market, but especially where a particular asset class is distressed, let's say office, I think everyone would agree office is yeah. the most distressed right now. Yep. You have to ask yourself, what is a really good deal for me if things never go back to normal? If the new normal for vacancies for office is 30% because of work from home, if that's going to stay forever, then you just have to run your numbers based on 30%. Um, you assume some, you know, maybe tax increases, insurance, et cetera. Um, and then you say, hey, if the return is good enough based on how it, how I think it's going to operate worst case, everything else is gravy on top. And then you do the deal. Um, but you just have to, what, what bothers me about these statements by guys like Grant Cardone, because so many people follow them, Michael, and mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of the opposite of what we try to do on the show, is they they throw out a strategy and what they're going to do. And then the average investor who doesn't have the same opportunity because they don't, they're not buying $50 million 
commercial office spaces think, okay, I'm going to hold off and not invest today because there's a big opportunity coming. Mm -hmm. And they have an inability to take it down because of the lack of capital, you know, funding, et cetera. So um, I just think we have to be very careful and realize that, yes, for those that play in that space, there's huge opportunity. But remember, there's also significant risk. And so the ballers, the really big investors, you know, they're taking huge risks for huge reward where that's not necessarily the wise thing for the average investor to do. I'd rather see you say in the space where I'm an expert with a ton of experience, right, um, and really great lending relationships or money partner relationships, where are the opportunities that I can actually handle that I understand well enough to admit to to identify the risks so that I can mitigate them so that then I understand if it really is a great deal or just an average deal that could get worse. Um, so, you know, I think it's just worth putting those caveats out there that you need to be careful and you need to always be looking for amazing opportunities where there's a distressed asset in the location and the space and the asset class in which you play. Yeah. So I think if we take care of step one, I think it's fair to say that Grant Cardone believes, and I would actually agree with him, that for Grant, these next two or three years probably are going to be his greatest opportunity. He has the checkbook. He has the name. He frankly has the ability to go to the big lenders. And he he's probably on the very short list of people to get a phone call when there's a trouble asset. So for if Grant- not worried about some of his SEC yes. um, suits and investors that have not been paid for a long time you know, from some of which I've heard mm -hmm. of too. So, yep. you know, he's not without challenges as well. Sure. That doesn't make it necessarily true that he'll always have the cash to be able to take those down. But no question. Yes. I think he'll yeah. have huge opportunities in the office space given, you know, his experience and ability to to yeah. raise money. Yeah. His unique gift is raising money, clearly. Yes. And, uh, you know, when you get to that size, you have optionality, right? And And sure. I think he's, I think his next two years, Assuming it doesn't blow up for all of the outside reasons, I think he's going to have a pretty, he'll have a, a two year run that's pretty good. But now let's Great. take it down to you and I. We don't play in that space. We're not that big. We don't pretend to ever want to be that big. I think we both right. can say. <laughs> but I think we're, I think it's been very clear. I, I am looking for the opportunity over the next 24, maybe 30 months to buy my biggest asset. Now, could it possibly be somebody who overpaid in the 2020 and 2021 area? Yes. Might it be a tired landlord who owns it free and clear and will do seller financing? Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not sure which one, but I am leaning towards the second uh, because I have the capital, the track record, the history. I have other seller finance deals that they can call and say, yeah, Michael's never missed a payment, all of that. So I think there will be opportunity for folks who have a track record who play on a smaller scale. Uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I want to repeat what I did in my book, One Rental at a Time, where I sell houses at peak prices in 1031 into apartments. Um, yes. So th that's a play I look to repeat. So that's what I'm thinking yes. about doing. How about yourself? Absolutely. Very, very similar. You know, after 2008 and 2009, and again, it's not exactly the same this time, but there are lessons that we can learn from that that we can take into today. And one of those things is when there's big disruptions in the economy, again, lending tends to tighten. And so it happened post 2008 9 Deals were plentiful, Michael. And I was like, oh, I'll just go buy these buildings. I have great, great credit, 800 credit score plus. 
I still, my company hasn't laid me off yet, even though I work for AIG. Um, and I've got some other cash flowing things coming in. I live below my means. Surely I can find a bank to do the deal. I couldn't. There were so many banks that just gave me no, no, no answers. And it was seller financing that I went to that allowed me to really start scaling and buying buildings without banks. And so, you know, it's one of the things I'm looking at now. When I go to sell a property, I look to potentially sell on seller financing terms as well, depending on, you know, the deal. And so whether you're a landlord or a buyer or both, um, they can be very, very lucrative because you just don't need a bank. So you can create a win-win transaction. Um, you can help a seller with their capital gain problem. You can help them delay their capital gain. They might be a tired landlord, but they still want that cash flow. Well, you paying them interest payments is giving them that cash flow. And it can allow you also to negotiate a lower interest rate um, term than what you could get from a bank at a higher LTV. And so, you know, what I do anticipate, it's happened over the last year, but I think it's going to get worse, is that banks have already pulled back. You know, we've looked at lots of these distressed deals in multifamily over the last year. And I would argue that multifamily values have probably bottomed. I don't think you're going to see significantly more pain in, in values. Um, maybe some in certain areas, but I would argue that essentially we've looked at a lot of deals, but because I used to be able to borrow at 80% just a year, year and a half ago, now our best case, we're getting loan offers at 55, 60% LTV. So even at those low values, you know, once I add a higher rate and lower debt available, I got to raise more money to from investors or from myself, my ROI goes down on those deals and it, they just don't pencil. Where if they would do seller financing, I could pay a little more, I'd get a higher LTV, a lower interest rate, and I can make those deals cash flow really well. So right. I'm definitely looking at that strategy. It doesn't always work. People kind of forget about it because in an environment where bank lending is, you know, very readily available at high LTVs and low rates, everyone just goes to the bank. Um, but when bank lending dries up, and I think we need to prepare ourselves that we're going to have more dry up of banks as we see more bank distress, when we do have bigger defaults and things like office on these banks books, I think mm -hmm. that seller financing is the way that you get a lot of deals done, especially if you're a one rental at a time follower and you're buying, you know, a house, a quad, a 10 unit, something kind of small, um, mm -hmm. they can be extremely lucrative, great long-term hold deals. So that's exactly what I'm looking for as well, Michael. Yeah. Now let's break it down to the, you know, the person who doesn't have 20 years of experience, who doesn't have a decent sized portfolio track record in name. What should they be doing, right? It's the new year. They got excited by real estate. They caught, you know, they caught you or I, they watched your playlist. They don't own anything yet but they're excited by the idea, right? They saw a Grant Carnone video that says, this is the greatest opportunity of my lifetime, which again, for him, probably true. For the person watching this, I'm not sure. How do we break it down? How do we give them actionable steps so they can move in a positive direction? Sure, now that's a great question. I think one thing is to become really a local market expert. If you do not already invest in multiple states or multiple asset classes, don't go, well, Grant's investing in, in large office in Austin, Texas, so that's where I need to go. You right. say, what's my backyard? What mm -hmm. can I learn? Where can I create the network of money partners and operational partners that will believe in what I'm doing because they also believe in that local market and its ability to be long-term resistant, resilient, right? So you want to become a local market expert, pick a, an asset class, you know, pick single family, small multifamily, like four unit and below, 
or commercial multifamily five to 10 or 10 to 20 units. I, I'm going to go against the grain of a lot of gurus, right, in multifamily and say it is not wise to start with a 100-unit apartment building when you have no experience, especially today where there's so much risk in the larger property space. Start small, learn, make your mistakes, start a portfolio, and then as you go and you create wisdom and network and ability, then you start buying larger properties. So start local pick your asset class, and then get really good at evaluating the number. So like you always say, you know, you need to do the work. You need to know what a good deal looks like to you for today. Once you do that, you look at deals every day, right? Maybe you take Sundays off, maybe, but, you know, it's pretty easy to put alerts on and see every new listing that comes on the market. Um, if you're looking at on-market deals, create a network of people to find off-market deals, the wholesalers in your market, maybe create some um, mailers to small owners that you might want to target seller financing and just educate yourself on the main strategy you want to go after. So if it's seller financing, if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a track record, you might not get a lot of money from the banks or don't have a big enough down payment, study seller financing, spend a lot of time educating yourself on that and stay local. And I think that's going to produce the best results for the vast majority of people that are starting out. I couldn't agree with you anymore. If I was going to tell somebody that gets excited by a grant video and he's a, he, he, he gets you going. Right. And, uh, which is great. I mean, the, the more people that get interested, the better, but you've got to become an expert in what I call a buy box, get laser yes. focused, look at it every day, document what's going on at some point in 60, 90, hundred days, you will know what average is. Once you know, average and only after, you know, average, can you start writing great offers? People get this Absolutely. backwards. And um, absolutely. Yeah. So at the yeah, end of the I think day, that's really important. And then I think, mm -hmm. you know, the other thing is, I think you need to really learn macroeconomics. It's hard, it's a difficult mm -hmm. topic, but you've really got to watch what's going out in, on in the economy that could impact the value of whatever I decide that I want to yes. buy. And that's really the great lesson that I took out of the great financial crisis. Um, you know, you can watch previous interviews we've done, but most mm -hmm. investors were really blindsided. No matter how good you were at real estate or how good you were at finances, you were kind of weren't watching the big macro picture and the things that can change values of properties pretty quickly. And so learn to watch macro. You know, we, we uh, talk just about what one second on I will highlight that there was one guy who sold all of his houses at the peak and moved them into apartments. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Good job. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I mean, I had been playing, but I really didn't have that much real estate yet in 2007. And so I held on to everything I had and I did really, really well, but I started buying multifamily then too, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's just really important that you start watching the signs and, and we've talked about it on the show for two years, get ready. These are the things get you ready, need to prepare yeah. for. We've sold at the peak. We've done, done the right things, <laughs> but things can shift. And, and maybe sure. next week we can talk about Michael, where I see potential opportunity in the single family space. Ooh. So Brent's talking about commercial, but I think that there could be 
um, not calling for a big real estate crash, but there mm-hmm. could be some significant pain still ahead for single family. Um, I'll kind of, you know, put a carrot out there, but nice. generally speaking, single family homes tend to revert in economic cha- economically challenging times to mm-hmm. kind of where the average wages are. And so if you start looking at wages, can we stay unaffordably high priced for a really long time if wage growth doesn't go really high? And I think the answer is probably no. So let's talk about that next week on next show um, and 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 t- and just talk about where there could be real opportunity for, for your average listener as well. Folks, at the end of the day, Anna Kelly has been with us for five years. She has an amazing playlist. You can go back and watch her first interview. You can watch the interview after she retired. You can watch about her interviews about buying properties in Florida. She's an amazing investor. Somebody comes back every week. And next week, we will talk about single family and the opportunities. Where can they find you, Anna? Thanks so much, Michael. You can find me on my website at AnnaKellyInvesting.com for coaching and consulting and deal review. You can find me on social media at Anna Kelly, REI Mom, and every week on your show. Thank you so much.